Here's what's coming up on today's show. The onus is on us to figure this stuff out. It's not as easy as it seems, but uh, with a little bit of planning ahead of time, a lot of those bumps can, if not be avoided, be minimized. When it comes to your finances, you don't want to be at a disadvantage. Tim Dyer can help. He's a wealth manager specializing in retirement planning and investment management, and he can be that financial coach that helps you achieve your goals in retirement. This is Retirement Power Play. Well, glad to have you back on the Retirement Power Play. I'm Ben George alongside Tim Dyer. And Tim, I, I like our topic today because, um, listen, Retirement ain't what it used to be, right? Our parents, grandparents, retirement was a pretty structured process, right? You go to work, you work for a certain amount of years, you get a pension, you get Social Security, and you're pretty much set. But but now it just doesn't work like that, does it? No, it doesn't. And I'll tell you, you know, we actually did an event last night. We were talking about this very issue. You know, you can kind of think of it like a three-legged stool, you know, that you sit on, right? You got three legs that's nice and firm, it's nice and sturdy. The first one is pension. Second one, social security. And that third one is, you know, your own discretionary or, or personal savings. And as you mentioned, you know, social security, excuse me, pensions have sort of gone the way of the dodo bird. I think it's statistically, there's only about 17% of, of companies out there that even offer them anymore. So uh, what used to be a huge proponent uh, or component, I should say, of people's retirement income has now vanished. Then you couple that with Social Security, it's kind of interesting because Social Security came out in 1935 and uh, you started receiving it when you were 65 years old. But, you know, I asked the group last night, you know, do you know what the life expectancy was in 1935? <laughs> it was 65 was years old. Yeah. <laughs> so it, in, in essence, it was almost like a, a long-term care policy for those uh, you know people that live longer than life expectancy. Now here in you know, 2022, far too many people are living off that as their primary source of income. Um, but, you know, going back to that three-legged stool, pensions and Social Security have something in common, and that's that they're guaranteed payments for life. Uh, whereas that third leg of the stool, which is now where all that pressure is, is, you know, or that weight is leaning on that third leg, it's what you do with your savings accounts investment accounts, your retirement accounts, 401ks, those types of things. The onus is on us to figure this stuff out. It's not as easy as it seems, but uh, with a little bit of planning ahead of time, a lot of those bumps can, if not be avoided, be minimized. Well, I guess it's a uh, perfect timing then since you had that seminar. So that works out pretty well that we can kind of just transition right to the podcast. And anybody that missed that seminar, this will be very beneficial to you to listen to this podcast. But again, once you do, and if you have questions, again, you can log on direwm.com. You can also log on to retirementpowerplaypodcast.com. Both of those will get you to, uh, to Tim. And also, if you want to call him directly, you can always do that at 858-459-3937. So pensions. Gone the way of the dodo bird, as you mentioned. Very <laughs> rare at this point. It's funny because when I worked at ESPN for a little bit, um, and I started in 2006. Uh, yeah, I remember, two, yeah. Yeah, 2008 was obviously when everything started kind of collapsing, right? Mm-hmm. One of the first things ESPN did, and I'm sure a lot of companies did, was say, hey, anybody that starts after this year, or maybe it was 2009, the pension is no longer on the table. So like, we were still grandfathered in, but everybody beyond that point 
didn't get it. So, like, you know, people coming in now probably have no clue about a pension. I'm sure that's the, the case with a lot of people. So it, it I get like $200, I think, is what I'm going to have for a pension when I, when I retire. So I guess I can't base my whole uh, retirement off of that, can I? Well, just think about it, though. I mean, you're still a young guy. And um, there were people that that decision that they, they started working after that date, but they were themselves older. So, you know, they didn't they didn't have as much time necessarily to save up that additional difference on their own. So, it, you know, um, that's the scenario of the win. So that we're in, and I, I, as I say, kind of in our events, look, the rules of the game change and we can, we can ignore it or we can just accept that fact and then align and make the adjustments that we need to make so that we do have enough in, in retirement and that most importantly, we do not run out of money. Right, exactly. All right, let's talk about some other um, challenges that people face now that our parents and grandparents didn't face. And again, we're going through these just to kind of give you an idea why it's so important to be planning and some things that you need to be thinking about that maybe you haven't quite yet. And and you talked about life expectancy, right? So when Social Security came around, 65 was the, the age you were expected to pass, but now you can live 20, 30 years in retirement. So not only are you trying to find more income to supplement that missing pension now, but now you also have to supplement it for a longer period. Absolutely. I was looking at a statistic the other day and it, it said a married couple age 62, I'd have to look up the source here, but it's probably easy to Google. A, uh, a married couple age 62, there's a, there's a greater than 50% chance that at least one of them lives to 92. I mean, that is 30 years. And so if you're in your 60s, you know, what would you tell yourself when you're in your 30s? It's hard to think of it that way, but you know, at 60, you still have a lot of runway left. And, uh, and, and that's the good thing. The, the concern is that, you know, you need to be even more diligent with your investments and your nest egg to make sure that you can have enough income that lasts you that entire lifetime. And I'll say this too, is that, you know, where people can get kind of mixed up is having that long time frame. the money that you need over the next, say, five or even 10 years it probably makes sense to diversify that or allocate that differently than the money that you're not going to use for 10 years. We're in the middle of a little bit of a, a market hiccup now, and it, it can certainly be unsettling, especially for people that are on fixed incomes. But for that money that is earmarked for a longer period of time, it really will probably just uh, end up potentially just being a blip on the radar. How many years do you typically plan for with your clients, Tim? Do you have like a kind of a ballpark or just kind of a standard you go off of 20, 30 years or anything? Yeah, well, it depends. I mean, some people approach retirement at different ages, but we we kind of default at 65 because that's when some of the entitlement benefits kick in, right? Social Security mm-hmm. um, and things like that, Medicare. But we we really run to life expectancy as a as a default. And then we also, what I call stress tests, which is just kind of jargon for, we also look at what a retirement plan would look like with additional longevity um, and what it m- might look like maybe if somebody has underlying health conditions. And, you know, we want to be realistic about things um, because we want to make sure that they get a chance to use the money that they've accumulated over the last 20, 30, or 40 years. Right. All right, so we're we're gonna continue on some more negative news here, Tim. Uh, <laughs> I hate it. We, we got to be realistic. We got to set expectations, right? So interest rates are another thing that are that are down. I mean, we I can even think back ten, fifteen, twenty years ago where you could get 
three, 4% on a, a money market or savings account. Well, that's gone out of the window as well. And CDs, uh, all these things, the interest rates are so low that you basically don't get any return, especially when you uh, set it next to what our inflation's at right now, right? So it's just another huge challenge people are facing. Yeah, interest rates are certainly uh, front and center news right now. And, it, you know, they're being used uh, to offset inflation. And it's, it's interesting because it really is a two-sided coin, right? Rising interest rates affect things in a good way and they affect things in a bad way. So it, it depends on what angle you're looking at it from. If you're an existing holder, um, let's say of a mortgage, interest rates are going up, you're actually, or inflation's going up, you're actually paying your mortgage down with fewer dollars, right? Um, you know, we could kind of say that another way. If interest rates are going up, the money or the return that you're getting on, say, conservative investments like money markets and CDs, it's getting higher. Now, it's still low relative to kind of where things have been historically, but mm-hmm. You know, on on the one hand, it can affect things negatively like bonds. On the other hand, it can affect things, you know, in a positive way. So there is a lot going on there. So interest rates are an important part of retirement. Yeah, that's one other thing you have to overcome here. Um, Let's talk about just the information that's out there now, too. I mean, you know, 20, 25 years ago, it was tough to track down information. You have to go to the library or read a newspaper or a magazine or watch TV and fewer channels. But now, I mean, anywhere you turn, you can find any information you need and everybody has an opinion on things. So, you know, it is helpful in one in one sense that you can really learn a lot more and listen to this podcast like this to really become educated. But on the other hand, there's a lot of information that's maybe not accurate, maybe is just too opinionated, maybe it's uh, targeted, pointed. It can be very difficult to sift through that. It is absolutely amazing. And and I've talked about this at length um, with people in that. So I I was coming back uh, from the airport the other day and I'm in an Uber and the the driver and us, we were kind of hit up a conversation and he started talking about, you know, where the Fed funds rates were and everything. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, I know a little bit about those things. Uh, You know, the base interest rate calculation. And um you know, I said, oh, do, you know, do you have an economics degree or something? And you know, he just pulls out his phone. No, you know, I read this stuff on the web. The point I'm trying to make is that anybody has access to, you know, a, a large depth of information when it comes to things. And we were looking at a historical chart just of the market last night at our event. And in it, it goes all the way back to the 30s where you have the Great Depression. Now, the numbers were so severe and negative in the Great Depression that um, it, it throws off a lot of the averages, right, for the, for the next, say, 90 or 100 years. If you chop that off, you know, things don't necessarily look that bad. And, and, and we'll talk about risk here in a minute. But um, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that the, the time frame of well, let me say it this way. The point I'm trying to make is that in the case of our Uber driver, you know, he's got information that people could only dream of even, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Right. And so to repeat what we saw historically before the internet or even TV or any of these airplanes were invented in the, in the uh, Great Depression, um, it's unlikely that we'll experience something like that just because there are other controls in place, the Federal Reserve, and we could argue whether they're doing a good job, bad job, but things just don't go as unnoticed as they did historically. 
And so I think um, there's a lot of information, and with that information comes uh, responsibility. But overall, I think it's a better scenario for investors to be more informed. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But do you think it plays into this last point we have to talk about in volatility where you can find and you hear about anything immediately, right? And stuff that you may have never learned about, never heard about, never even cared about, all of a sudden is on your radar and it affects the way people invest and, and, and you know, emotional decision-making, whatever it is. But with that, the volatility in the stock market seems like it becomes more and more pronounced. I don't know if it's directly correlated to that or not, but it feels that way. Well, volatility is a term that is used, you know, using air quotes here uh, on Wall Street, uh, to, and that's how they define risk, right? So Wall Street de defines risk as, as the volatility necessarily of an investment. And it's usually calculated in something called standard deviation. Now, I won't get into that, but to simplify it, it's really just the ups and downs, like the turbulence, if you will, of a specific investment or maybe a market. And what's interesting is that we as people and investors is we don't look at risk like that. I mean, sure, when you're on, an, you know, using this turbulence example, when you're on an airplane and you get turbulence, you're not really worried about the actual turbulence. In fact, if you knew with 100% certainty that you would be safe, you'd probably enjoy the turbulence. It'd be like a little roller coaster, right? right? <laughs> but in the back of our minds, what are we thinking, right? We're thinking if this gets more severe and, and, and whoever's at control up front doesn't get control of this, we're going to crash into the ground and we know what that means, Right. That's what we're actually afraid of. So when it comes to investments, we're not necessarily afraid, afraid of the ups and downs. We're afraid of what that could potentially lead to, which means, you know, our investments crash and burn. Then we have no more money left to do the things that it is that we want to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think about that too. Like I'm looking at the market now, right? That's that's down quite a bit. And and you, it's just like your turbulence, right? I, I feel like, man, where could this actually end up? How far down are we going to go? How bad is it going to get? Whereas, you know, probably in a year or two, three years, look back and say, man, should have enjoyed that ride and maybe put a little bit more money into the market and taken advantage of some opportunities. It's, it's very clear that you feel it in the moment much more. But if you could go back and, and, and see it after the fact, usually, you know, you would have enjoyed that ride. Well, yeah, maybe. Uh, wishful thinking, I think. But yeah. We, look, if we take this back to the topic of retirement here, let's, you know, essentially people look at their investments as sort of one big bucket, right? And it, it gets bigger as their account grows and it gets you know smaller as markets fluctuate or we add money, take money out. Um, but I encourage people when you're into retirement, don't think of it as sort of one big bucket. Think of it as a couple of different buckets. Let's say, you know, three or four different buckets, the money that you need short term, the money that you're going to need, you know, maybe in five to 10 years. And then that third bucket might be money that is, is earmarked for, uh, use 10 years plus down the road. And then that fourth bucket could be that discretionary or that, um, you know, slush fund, vacation fund or something like that. Um, but when you do that, it, it's essentially you're, you're splitting the risk up into different time frames. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this relates to kind of our conversation because, you know, people that have things set up that way, they're not worried about the market fluctuation because that's in the long-term bucket. The money that they're going to need over the next, you know, one to five years that's all protected in something that isn't necessarily directly related to the stock market ups and downs. It, you know, the analogy you could use, it's kind of like there are different 
uh, portfolios are like golf clubs. You want the driver to drive the ball, right? Mm -hmm. And then you want your putter to putt. We don't drive with a putter and we don't putt with a driver. Um, and so making sure that we're using the right club, you know, for the right objective is, uh, is, is important. It is, it is indeed. And it's important too, to have a plan, right? I mean, I think, you know, kind of putting a, a kind of cap on this conversation, the whole, the whole reason we're going through this is, you know, it used to be where your parents and grandparents could probably do a lot of their planning without an advisor, right? They have a lot of things in place, a lot of guardrails in place to to protect them into retirement. But today there are so many more challenges that it's so difficult to do this on your own, correct? I would agree. I mean, I think about the, and this is okay, fine. This may be a little self-serving, but I think about the time that I put into kind of honing this craft, right? Whether it's reading, you know, multiple books a week or a month, uh, attending conferences, being on uh, webinars and conference calls on different changes, whether it's in markets or in taxes, it's a lot. I mean, it's a, it's a full-time job and it's my career. Now I enjoy it. Um, but to think that somebody would be, you know, just throwing it out there, uh, an engineer or a pilot or, or, you know, who knows what, and, and to do that job successfully and then try to do this stuff full-time, it's gotta be pretty hard. Indeed it does. So if you have questions, if you want to start your plan, if you, you know, some of these things kind of raise an eyebrow for you, maybe some things you might be concerned about now, or just want some more clarity on, just slug on DyerWM.com. That'll get you in touch with Dyer Wealth Management. You can also call them at 858-459-3937. How about a little little getting to know you question, Tim? We'll shift gears real quick before (laughs) we take a mailbag question to cap off the show. Are you much of a reader? Voracious. Okay. Then I'm curious, how many books do you read on average in a year? Oh, I'd say probably close to 20. Oh, okay. That number is probably, no, it's probably, it used to be more, but as you know, I got two young boys at home, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. So we're, uh, (laughs) my discretionary time is a little limited, but uh, I still read constantly. Do you try to read, what what kind of books do you read? Do you read more towards um, any financial conversation, literature, or do you... Novels, nonfiction, what do you what do you typically go to? Well, I'll tell you, you know, it used to just be business books and, uh, you know, financial books of all kinds. Um, and, and that sort of tapered off a little bit, not not because, you know, there aren't new ideas that are out there. But um, in a way, after 22 years in this business, you kind of get not set in your ways, but you have your way or process of doing things. And so sometimes additional input there is just noise. But um, mm-hmm. I don't know if, if, if I had told you, but last year I was sick. I spent some time in the hospital. A couple of buddies sent me books, actually. Uh, and, you know, I started reading books on um, travel, you know, okay. and not just specifically like uh, destination books, but more about people that had traveled, uh, some surfing books and some people that had, I'm not even a surfer, but stories of people that had sort of traveled all over the world. So anyways, I digress a little bit, but uh, I've gotten into some other genres. So some, uh, some fiction stuff as well. That's cool. What are you reading currently? <laughs> Put me on the spot, right? <laughs> I, I can't. For the last I, book for the you li- read, I guess. Well, you know, the psychology of money by Morgan Housel is a great book that, that okay. came out probably about a year ago. Um, I, <laughs> Being put on the spot, I'm trying to think. I'll put in the show notes, but the the surfing book that uh, I'm reading, 
literally the the name just slips my mind, but I'm in the process of reading it. So. I do the same thing. No worries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, senior very, moment. Senior very, moment. Very cool. Well, that's 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 great. I know. I I try to read more, but I'm I'm with you. I had a two year old daughter, so. Time is uh is tough to find sometimes, so it's all we all experience it. All right, let's let's uh, close out the show with a little mailback question that came in. I want to get your thoughts on this question from Roy. He said, um, "I'm interviewing and comparing a couple of different financial advisors right now. What metrics are most important to compare them on?" Well, okay, so you want to look at credentials, you want to look at experience, um, you want to look at how you found them. Was it somebody that was recommended? Was it somebody saw in a magazine or a TV commercial, whatever it might be? Um, so, you know, again, we talk about credentials. Are they a fiduciary? Are they somebody that's working on your, your half and legally putting your best interest first? Uh, or, you know, are they more in a sales operation where they're, you know, showing you products and trying to find something that fits? I think that's one, uh, metric that I think is important. Another one is to really be honest with, you know, as you search around for different advisors, but be honest, is, is the person that you're talking to, somebody that has experience in what you're you know going through or maybe the the stage of life that you're in in fact there's a lot of uh, people that are really good at at um, helping people accumulate money and get them up to retirement but there aren't that many that are really good at helping distribute funds and get them through retirement so you know um and i'll kind of throw one last one in there and i was guilty of this early in my career when I first started, I didn't know a lot about taxes and I, you know, I was working at a major firm where we weren't allowed to give any kind of tax advice. And I remember, you know, people would say, well, do you need my returns? Ah, no, no, just take that up with your CPA. Well, you know, now where I am in my career, it's, it's a, it's a big part of what we do. So, you know, making sure that those things are integrated to a certain degree, you know, your investments, uh, your, your taxes and those types of things, um, so that they're all playing nice. That would be a question that I would ask for somebody if you're looking to hire an advisor. Very good. Thanks for that question, Roy. If you want to get in touch with Tim and uh, Dire Wealth, you can always do so. 858-459-3937. All right. Good conversation, Tim. I know things just aren't what they used to be. We sound uh, like we're getting older, right? Back in our day. All right. So... I'm Come sure. on now, we're looking for silver linings here amongst this all. It's not all doom and gloom. It isn't all doom and gloom. That's the thing. With a, a proper plan, you can overcome these challenges and, uh, and still set yourself up for a great future in retirement. So, Tim, thanks for the time as always. I appreciate it. You got it, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Retirement Power Play. I am Ben George. He's Tim Dyer. We'll talk to you on the next episode. The commentary on this podcast reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analyses of Sage Capital Advisors, LLC, DBA Dire Wealth Management employees making such comment and should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Dire Wealth Management or performance returns of any Dire Wealth Management Investments client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referred for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. 
As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Dire Wealth Management provides advisory services through Sage Capital Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Dire Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Dire Wealth Management unless a client's service agreement is in place.